I'm an American. Loving Liberty Network. You are listening to the Liberty Moms Show. This is Elaine English, your host. And we are, as Liberty Moms, the true secretaries of defense. We are the original defenders of the home front. We are so happy that you have joined us today. We're pleased to have you. And we're very excited to have Dr. Jim Clark join us. Um, we're really, really pleased. I have I went to an event in Orem. I heard Dr. Clark speak. He did a presentation. It was so interesting. I thought I have to have him on my show. So Dr. Clark graduated from BYU in microbiology and virology. He also got additional certification in medical technology. He's been a doctor for 25 years, working on the front line. He took he got his medical degree in Texas Tech University. And then he had his residency at the University of Utah and the McKay Hospital. So he is a Utah, and he's right here in Utah, and he's been practicing for 25 years. He's been married for 47 years. He has eight children and 31 grandchildren. And so Dr. Clark, I think, has shown that he really cares about people and is concerned. So Dr. Clark, welcome to our show. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Thanks so much for being here. We have so much information. You're loaded with information. So you're going to get right to this. You have done a lot of research about the way that we've handled COVID and on the COVID-19 virus. What made you get so involved? Why did you decide to get to do so much research on it? Well, I've had a lot of experience uh, dealing with viruses, influenza in particular, and I you know, the government hasn't always been real good at, at handling, you know, different health crises. Um, I think many of the, your listeners will probably remember the uh, the cholesterol debacle where the government um, told us that we shouldn't be eating cholesterol. Like you couldn't have an egg. You couldn't eat an avocado or nuts. And that went on for, you know, 40 years. And then, lo and behold, they started looking at the data, and they're saying, wait, we're really not saving lives. And they went back and looked, and there were some professors who were supposed to be experts in the field who had actually been paid off by the sugar industry. And uh, it, it wasn't cholesterol after all. It was actually sugar that was causing the problem. But we had the government telling us that we needed to do this and this and this, where it wasn't that at all. And so when I saw this coming out and they were telling us that two and a half million people were going to be uh, dying from COVID, I started saying, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so that's why I started getting in and uh, uh, investigating this a little bit more. But Dr. Clark, it was the model. The model, can models be wrong? <laughs> the models can and often <laughs> are wrong, unfortunately. Yes, the models are wrong. And I love your point that you brought up a very, very good point is 
we have this tendency to trust the government and there's sometimes the people in the government are not being upfront and honest with us go figure and um so i i that's that's an excellent an excellent analogy i think an, an example I often think when people feel like the COVID, they're so worried about, they're so scared, we know that sugar does a great deal of damage to the immune system. So I say, hey, how about instead of me wearing a mask, how about you stop eating sugar to protect you and your immune system? And um, that goes over really well. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of hypocrisy uh, out there. And, uh, I mean, if the FDA and the CDC really wanted to stop lives, they would ban cigarettes, they would ban alcohol, they would ban uh, marijuana, all these other things. But political uh, climate is not such that that they will do that particular thing. So no, I, people aren't giving up their they're not giving up their sugar. I can guarantee you that for sure. So and um, many other sweet vices. So tell me what. Give us some um, examples of your research because you've really got a lot of research. So tell us what you found when you were doing the research. Well, there's so much out there. It, it's hard to know where to uh, begin in this. But going back to just some, some basic uh, immunology, you know, when this first hit the United States, we were told, that we needed to flatten the curve. If you look at an infectious curve, you'll notice that it will go up and it will come down. And that's due to herd immunity. We were afraid, however, that if we had too many infections all at once, it would overwhelm our healthcare system and we wouldn't have enough ICU beds or ventilators or, or what have you. So rather than letting it just run its course, we said, let's flatten the curve. Let's do things that will keep this from spreading rapidly. And we were able to do that uh, fairly well. And if you look at the graphs, where COVID hit initially uh, back east, uh, New York, New Jersey, in that area, you'll see where the virus hit very rapidly, it hit hard. Uh, frankly, the uh, the medical uh, community wasn't prepared for it, and it just killed all kinds of people. Uh, I don't even think the medical people really knew what to do, and and they were doing things that were actually harmful rather than than helpful. Uh, we we yeah. learned a lot from that experience, however. But New York was hit hard. It, it, uh, they had thousands of deaths. But now if you look at the graph, they're not having very many cases at all right now. In fact, they're talking about opening up schools because the number of cases are so low. But again, that's because they let the virus run its course. Now it's over, or at least for the time being, it's over. When people come out of hiding, who knows what's going to happen because those people are not immune and they can be infected uh, just like the rest of us who haven't had it. 
So you're saying because so many people went into hiding, it didn't allow the herd immunity to work to the entire population. It only went, there's only herd immunity for those people who have been out and living. And so they have created herd immunity, but the people who have been sheltering are not going to have herd immunity. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Uh, if, if you haven't been infected by it, you still can. But or exposed uh, to it. Exposed to it. New York is kind of an interesting situation because everybody, you know, they're working in buildings. They're not out and about like maybe people here in Utah are. Right. And uh, especially with, like, uh, long-term care facilities, nursing homes, those types of things. Uh, the government made horrendous decisions to put uh, sick people back into those facilities. Well, if you do that, you put a sick person into a, a bunch of people who are already compromised, you're just you're putting a match to fuel and really starting uh, a fire, and that's what they did, and that's why they had so many uh, deaths and uh, uh, hospitalizations and the whole thing. It, it was just a bad situation, a lot of bad decisions. And uh, frankly, I, I really don't think that the medical community knew exactly how to treat COVID when it first came. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And I think they didn't understand exactly what they were up against. And I think at that point, we didn't know we had such a targeted population where we knew who was going to actually die from it at that time because with the flu anybody can get it and die but with this COVID it is very very targeted to the elderly and the people with comorbidity which I guess is always the higher risk people but it really is targeted like we know now who uh, the high risk people are. Yeah that's that's true and uh, we know the different viruses uh, act differently. Uh, influenza sometimes will hit children and younger people harder. But in this particular case, COVID, we know that it hits the elderly. Uh, I wouldn't say exclusively, but in such a, a high number that uh, children are hardly even affected by it. Okay, Dr. Clark, we are going to need to take a break here real quick. We are talking to Dr. Jim Clark from Orem. A recently retired doctor, been in the medical profession for 25 years. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. I'm Dr. John Howe, veterinarian and 2020-2021 AVMA Immediate Past President with the latest on COVID-19 and pets. There's been a very limited number of infections in companion animals, with most cases asymptomatic or with minor respiratory issues. Here are some key tips. If you're healthy, keep practicing good hygiene with your pet. Wash your hands before and after playtime and when handling food, waste, or supplies. It's best if you don't let your pets interact with people or pets outside your household, especially if you're in an area with community spread. 
Exercise is important for your pet, but try to steer clear of crowded dog parks. Mind the heat. Socially distance. Keep cats indoors whenever possible. If you're ill with COVID-19, try to have someone care for your pets. If you can't always wear a mask, don't share food, kiss, or hug your pets, and wash your hands before and after any contact. For more information on keeping your pets happy, healthy, and safe, visit avma.org. Gold prices keep climbing and just hit an all-time high. COVID-19 and battered global economies are sending investors to the safe haven of physical gold to avoid losing value in their IRAs, 401ks, and stocks. Don't stand on the sidelines and wonder what the stock market is going to do next. Protect and grow your financial future today with a call to American Bullion, the leader in gold investments. You have valid concerns and we have simple solutions. Solutions for all needs and budgets. In fact, we specialize in first-time gold buyers as well as veterans. Find out about American Bullion's hassle-free process to transfer any portion of your IRA, 401k, or stocks into the long-term safety of a gold IRA today. Call 800-GOLD-IRA and ask for our free gold guide. That's 800-465-3472. 800-GOLD-IRA. Grow your financial future with the rising value of physical gold and protect yourself during this worldwide crisis. Call the leader, American Bullion, 800-GOLD-IRA. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian health care sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 27 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second and if you call you can get a price within two minutes maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving here you go call 833-34-BIBLE that's 833-34-BIBLE 833-34-BIBLE you are listening to the loving liberty network this is elaine england i'm here with dr jim uh, Clark, and we are so happy to have you with us, Dr. Clark. We're discussing COVID-19 and the way that we've been treating it. I wanted to ask you, have you ever heard, as a doctor, have you ever heard of quarantining healthy people? Well, uh, in the years that I've practiced, I have never seen that happen. I, I think it's very unusual. Uh, normally, if someone is sick, we quarantine the sick person and try to keep that person out of the public uh, so they don't spread it. But this is the first time I have ever seen the government or anyone telling us that we need to quarantine ourselves. Um, Yeah, it's unusual. What are the pros and cons of quarantining healthy people? Well, certainly quarantining people takes the pool of potentially infected people to a smaller level. In other words, if you have a million people and you quarantine people, they're in their house, then those people aren't are going to be much less susceptible to being exposed to the virus. 
So it does limit the amount or number of people that the virus can infect. However, there are a lot of things that can happen that are bad if you quarantine people. Uh, you see that in children. They really have a tough time. They really struggle uh, being away from friends. Kids really need that interaction. Well, so do adults. We, we need to socially interact and to be able to do those things. Uh, we go about uh, with recreational activities, we are recreating ourselves. And if we don't have that opportunity to relax and enjoy life, that can be detrimental not only to our physical, but also to our mental health. So, yes, you do limit the, the potential number of people being infected, but there are also some negative things, as I mentioned. Right, because we have to take into account the emotional, the mental, the stress on people, and we know that it has been very, very hard emotionally on people, and we've had a huge, huge spike of, of suicides because of it. We also know that many people have not received the same medical treatment that they would normally get because they're afraid to go in or because they were told that they, they shouldn't go in right now, so we needed to keep all of our medical professionals available to treat COVID. Um, but how do you feel about wearing masks? Do you feel like that is to help? Do you think that is, is stopping people from, from getting it, from contracting COVID? Well, mask wearing has never been used, as far as I know, in the United States to protect the wearer from getting a virus. Bacteria are a little bit different because bacteria are larger and they're spread differently. But a virus is so small that it can go through just about any type of mask, including an N95 mask. Um, this virus is about 0.1 microns, and the N95 mask is, is meant to screen out particles three times larger. In other words, it can screen up to 0.3 microns, but the virus is, again, one-third smaller than that. So, yes, it would screen some, but it doesn't screen all of it. And it also doesn't prevent the virus from going around the mask. When you breathe in and out, your breath, the air that's flowing, is going to follow the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is going to go around the sides, up underneath the mask, or up uh, above the eyes and down that way, and not through the mask itself. And there are some pretty good uh, illustrations of that that you can see on YouTube. Um, and I might recommend that, you know, you look that up. But there's one for uh, uh, a, a doctor. He's an anesthesiologist, by the way. Dr. Ted uh, Noel, he uh, shows how this works. And he uses uh, vape smoke uh, as a way of showing how viruses will do this. They not only can go through, but they will go around. 
and uh, vape uh, particles are about the same size as COVID. So it's a pretty good representation as to what's really going on when you breathe. Now, one other thing that um, I think scientists were a little bit off on, we, we thought that COVID was going to be spread mostly by large droplets. And that's what we focused on, that it was these large droplets of mucus or saliva that was coming out of the nose and mouth with coughing or sneezing or even talking loudly. And they thought these masks would catch these large droplets, which they actually do. The only thing is you can do the exact same thing with a Kleenex or a handkerchief if you cover your mouth. That's why we were saying cough into your elbow or cover your mouth because that's exactly what it does. It, it catches these larger particles, but it does nothing to capture aerosolized viral particles. And again, these are so small that they'll go right through any mask and they will fall any little crevice or any little hole around where the mask is, is fitting. And uh, there's just nothing you can really do about it. So, yes, you can prevent forward spread of large droplets, but you cannot prevent spread of aerosol, uh, aerosolized particles with a, with a mask. It just doesn't work. It'll go all over everywhere. And uh, people need to understand that. You can put a mask on and, and say, wow, I'm protected because I have this mask on. But, again, I would recommend going to YouTube and actually seeing that uh, it's masks and vaping, I believe, or something like that. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's an impressive presentation that actually shows what a virus will actually do when you breathe in and out. Yeah, it is Dr. Ted Noel. And I actually did view that video, that YouTube video myself. It, I find it fascinating. It's very interesting. And there's nothing like seeing it to really help you understand. I put that link on my website that I am over, that I'm the chair of Freedom's Light Foundation. So if you go to freedomslight.us, on the top of the tabs, if you go to more and just click on more, then it has COVID-19 and then down there is the link that people could go on and watch that. So they go to freedomflight.us, go to more, and that drops down to COVID-19, and the link is there. So people are able to watch that and see, and you can just really see because you can relate with the vaping that's how tiny the COVID-19 virus is, and, it, and you're able to see. So, so many people are out there wearing masks because they've been told that they should, and they're told that we will be able to stop this virus and shut it down if we wear masks. So in your professional opinion, do you think that it is going to work? Is it beneficial for people to wear masks, or do you feel like it's really not going to be the answer? We're just delaying it. Well, I, I'm not going to tell people not to wear masks. If psychologically they feel mm -hmm. like it's helpful, then I would say by all means, Go ahead and, and do it. But I personally don't think masks work very well. I know that there are people 
who would uh, <laughs> vehemently uh, uh, oppose that and uh, say that they do work. But I have, in my practice, I have never uh, seen hard evidence. Dr. Clark, thank you, Dr. Clark. We need to go to a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. You are listening to the Liberty Mom Show. This is Elaine English, your host today. And Liberty Moms, we are the original secretaries of defense, the real defenders of the home front. And we are so happy to have you join us. We are with Dr. Jim Clark. We have just a few more minutes with Dr. Clark, and we're so grateful for you being here. And we were talking about whether masks are effective or not, and if they do help stop the spread of COVID. Clearly, they are effective for stopping, um, you know, a cough or mucus or things coming out, spewing in front of you. Clearly, they are. There's no question about it because they catch it. But the, but the question is, we're not really wearing masks for that because, as you said, we can cough into our elbow or whatever. But is it going to stop the spread of COVID-19 is really what, we, what we're looking for, the answer to that. So I want to ask you, do you think there are consequences or health risks or negative impacts of people wearing masks for extended periods of time? Well, there are. Uh, I, I think some of the risks have been overblown, but I do know that people, for instance, if they wear masks for an extended period of time, especially if it gets wet, that it can cause all kinds of rashes and uh, dermatological uh, problems. Uh, people that already have lung deficiencies like asthma, they have had some problems. I, I know that myself, that if I'm climbing upstairs or whatever, I have a little bit of asthma, and it's a lot more difficult wearing a mask. We do know that if someone is hyperventilating, and they start getting lightheaded, what do we have them do? We have them blow in a bag because that collects CO2 and it helps to, to lower uh, that uh, level of oxygen that we're getting. It actually helps to calm things down just a little bit. But people who have anxiety, for instance, sometimes a little bit of change in the CO2 level is enough to trigger anxiety. And I know that hasn't been talked about very much. But there are people who they put a mask on, they get very claustrophobic, and it's right. very difficult for them to, to wear a mask. I would say for the majority of people, they can wear a mask, and it, it shouldn't have any effect at, at all. But I just don't think it should be mandated for everyone, because it, it does vary from person to person. Absolutely. So you don't think there are risks? help us of breathing your own CO2 for long periods of time? No, not really, because there's not that um, that high a level of, of CO2. Uh, it will change a little bit, but I don't think that it's going to cause any health problems because of that, that change. There's just not that much uh, uh, of a change occurring when a, a mask, especially a loose mask, like a surgical mask or a homemade mask is, is worn. An N95 mask, that's a different story because that's, that's a much tighter system. And so what about 
some the decrease in oxygen. How do you feel that that impacts people when they're actually taking in less oxygen? How does that affect their brain and affect their lungs? Well, uh, again, it, it, certainly if you're getting less oxygen to the brain, it's going to have an effect. But I have not seen that personally. I don't think that these types of masks actually lower the oxygen to the point where it would cause problems with that. I, I, I think um, masks cause problems more with the other things uh, that I told you about, more of the uh, psychological and uh, dermatological and, and those types of things. Uh, the body has a pretty good ability to handle lower levels of, of oxygen and uh, if, if you're one of those people, it's right on the end. Say you have congestive heart failure and your oxygen levels are just barely on the edge. Yes, a mask might be enough to push over just a little bit. But again, for most people, I don't think the oxygen level is, is really that big of a problem. So you think it's more of a psychological issue or maybe a physical on the, on the health? Yeah, dermatological. Okay, and do you feel that the way that we have handled COVID-19 in the United States and even particularly in Utah, do you think that we have handled it in a way that it is improved, um, that it's better for people? Or do you think that, as many people are saying, the cure is worse than the actual disease? Well, I, I, I think there's a lot of fear. And... Uh, there's a lot of uh, thinking that is not correct. Even those that, that I have debated about uh, different things will, will agree with me on certain things, but yet you'll see the general population uh, wearing their masks or doing things that, that even the experts are saying uh, don't work. I, I think that the biggest difference between what I'm saying and what, other people are saying out there is mostly in the spread of the virus in an asymptomatic person. Uh, people think that if they wear a mask, you know, if you have a healthy person and they wear a mask, they're not going to spread it, even if they have uh, an asymptomatic case of it. And I say, putting a mask on does not control that aerosolized virus. That will go anywhere where, whether you're wearing a mask or not. Masks do help with large particles. They don't help or extremely low likelihood of helping with an aerosolized virus because they are so small. So what is the point of people wearing them around, for healthy people wearing them around? Why should people wear them at this well, time? We've never worn them for the flu or for the cold. Why, why should people be wearing masks? Well, the health department and, and people in that uh, realm, they feel like if you wear a mask, it's going to prevent the asymptomatic person, in other words, the person that's infected but is not having any symptoms from spreading it. Somehow that mask is going to keep those viral particles 
from getting out of your lungs and out of your upper respiratory system into the general population, I don't think it, it helps. And that's why I, I just don't uh, agree with them uh, at all uh, as well, based, far as the asymptomatic. Based on all your research and your studies, what can you draw upon on those studies to show that? Well, a, a, again, you can go see uh, for yourself this YouTube video. I think that's a very good demonstration. But if you want to go and actually look at the graphs of the states that required masks versus the states that uh, didn't re require masks, you can see a difference in the infection rate. If you look at Arizona, for instance, Arizona, it went up came down and now they hardly have any cases. It, it's pretty much gone through uh, the, the infection cycle and they're just about over with this. And if you look at the states, take, take the four most anti-mask states, that would be Arizona, Nevada, Idaho, and Florida, and look at their, I mean, if masks are working so well, you would think that as soon as you started mandating masks, that the infection rate would drop right off. But the infection rates didn't do that. They all did the same thing. And Utah is kind of like that too. It's going up. It's reached a peak. It reached a peak around July 25th and it's coming down. Uh, you know, to, to me, you can look at that. You, you, you can look at generalizations. You can't look specifically because like in Utah, everybody except for Summit County and Salt Lake County had to wear masks. But, I mean, they were the only ones that had to wear masks. The rest of the state did not. So it's hard to look at the, the whole state and make a, uh, a conclusion about that. But the fact of the matter is, even Salt Lake County, who required masks, their pattern is very similar to Davis County or Weaver County or Utah County. They all kind of went up, and they're all coming down. And I don't think masks had a whole lot to do with that. Thank you so much, Dr. Clark. We really appreciate you being on. We appreciate your expertise. I hope you have a wonderful day. This is the Lane England. We just want to remind you that September 17th, 18th, and 19th, Freedom's Light Eve Festival will be happening. Freedomslight.us. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. think some of the top investors in the world are buying gold. Recently, a handful of billionaires have been accumulating gold over other forms of investments. When the world's financial moguls like Sam Zell begin choosing metals, perhaps it's time you listen and follow suit with your own personal investments. Gold is formally recognized as a hedge against currency depreciation and inflation. Take David Einhorn as one example. Einhorn founded Greenlight Capital in 1996 and surged that fund from $900,000 to as high as $11 billion. Einhorn believes 
that the central bank's recent stimulus efforts will have an effect on pushing up the value of gold. He keeps 10% of his firm's value stored in gold bullion. If you're interested in knowing more about gold, platinum, and palladium, call Noble Gold for a no-pressure consultation. They have the most experienced representatives and an exclusive pipeline to metal sources. Visit them at noblegoldinvestments.com. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. When thinking about life insurance, my accident reinforced you never know what tomorrow might bring. That's why I reached out to AccuQuote. AccuQuote helps people find a life insurance policy that meets their needs. Since 1986, they've helped millions of folks save up to 60% on their life insurance by comparing the rates and features of dozens of top-rated life insurance products. A healthy 50-year-old non-smoker can buy a half a million dollars of 10-year level term for less than 45 bucks a month. A 60-year-old under 120 bucks a month. Long or permanent terms are available. Even if you already own life insurance, you really need to check out my friends at AccuQuote. Don't worry about health issues. Remember, they help me. As a pastor, I'm concerned about your soul and helping you to make sure your family is taken care of. Life insurance is more affordable now than ever, so don't make them wish you'd made that call. 877-437-4781. Call now, 877-437-4781. 877-437-4781. Each policy points and availability vary by state. Balance of nature, changing the world, one life at a time. I have seen a, a change in how I feel. I do feel better. I actually feel like doing stuff, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's, it's just a, a better feeling just throughout my whole body. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code USA. Now you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 800-215-5141. 800-215-5141. That's 800-215-5141. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. This is the Liberty Mom Show. This is Delaney England. We have a new guest with us. We're so happy that you're joining us. We're grateful to have Corinne Johnson with us. Corinne is the founder and president of a new organization, Utah Parents United. Sounds fantastic. And also the founder Thank you. CSC Parents is the Facebook group. So if you like what you hear and you're interested, then go on DSC Parents Facebook group and you can join. And we're going to give Corinne an opportunity to tell us about Utah Parents United. So, Corinne, you're a young mom. How many kids do you have? I'm a mom of five, and my five. kids, yeah, <laughs> five, and they start from kindergarten all the way up to a junior at high in high school. Fantastic. Okay, so tell us why you founded your organization. So, um. I value education highly, and it's very important that all children have an equal education. That has been something we've struggled with since COVID-19. First, our kids, you know, were sent home with quarantine. We weren't able to finish the school year in person, and we were very excited for the opportunity to return physically to school. We were told in Davis School District we'd get that chance at five days a week, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, um, they changed their plan. And 
introduced a hybrid model, which means our children are only physically in school two days a week instead of five days a week. And then three of those days are online learning days. Well, anybody who did the spring knows how well that works for kids. <laughs> it's not ideal. And um, we decided we needed to do something about this. Um, it's our opportunity to advocate for our kids. And um, I felt we had to take a stand. We found other like-minded parents who started meeting. And we said, let's do a Facebook group. Let's get the word out to other people that there are parents who care about this, this education issue in Davis School District. Let's bring us all together. And we're going to go to board meetings. And we're going to have our voice heard. So that's what we did. We founded um, the DSC Parents Focus on Getting Kids Back to School Five Days a Week group. And we started attending board meetings, and it was great. We had 300 people come to the very first Davis School District board meeting, Delaine. It was that is amazing. amazing. Yeah. That, and you it, can get 300 people to do anything at the same time to come out for one cause. That tells you so much. And that's, that's they had to know about it. Think of all the parents who would have been here if they would have known. Exactly. And those parents were absolutely passionate about making sure that their kids get five days a week of school. They can be in a classroom and they can receive the education and the services that their kids need. Well, the board didn't um, make a decision that night, but they just said, we'll think about it. We'll have a special meeting Thursday. We went back on Thursday and the board voted unanimously to support the hybrid decision, even after our parents had all come out in support of a five day. And we realized that it's going to take a lot more than a couple protests to make a difference in Davis School District. So we decided we need to form a parent advocacy group. So that's what we're doing. That is awesome. And so is it, are you growing? Are you getting more people involved? Absolutely. So our Facebook group was formed on July 29th. And we have almost 3,000 members. Wow. Yeah, 3,000 people who are concerned about um, education for their kids and want to advocate for them. And we're talking about a lot more than just, you know, five-day-a-week schools, but we're talking about all advocacy issues. There are a lot of parents who are advocating for their kids right now to be able to go to school and be able to breathe. Um, <laughs> this is an important issue for our parents as well. And we also recognize there's a lack of transparency in our school district regarded, regarding digital learning. Um, the district has been pushing blended digital learning in our school district for years. And we're worried that this decision will impact future learning, even once this pandemic has, you know, run its course and we may see some sense of normal. Are our kids going to be stuck on screens for hours a day in the classroom and at home? That's not okay with us. Now, that is a really big problem that has absolutely been happening in public schools for the last more than five years. Um, I've been working very hard on this because when you send your kids to school, they are spending a great amount of time on screen, on technology, on machines. And so they're still not getting that one-on-one -on -one interpersonal connection with a real-life person, a real-life teacher. And I think that that, I've, you know, Explain to me, why do you want kids to go back into the classroom five days a week? Why do you, why do you think parents care about the, your students, your children going in five days a week? You know, teachers are amazing. They are our superheroes. We're so Thank grateful you. for them. Yes, their experience, their knowledge, their education, and their love for our kids is something that is invaluable to students. They create environments where children love to learn. 
where they not only gain an education in your, you know, arithmetic, reading, writing, or three R's, but they gain social skills and verbal skills. They learn how values, they learn how to work together, and they learn how to engage in a community, in a classroom. Those are skills that prepare them for a successful life. We need our kids to be ready to go out into the world as successful adults who can make a difference and can provide that same level of passion that teachers give our kids, instill that in our students, and send them out into the world. They don't get that from a computer. They don't get that from a digital packet or even a bunch of worksheets. That's what our district has decided is valuable right now for our kids. Not only do our kids not start digital, uh, do digital learning three days a week, a lot of kids don't even get to start that until after Labor Day. So they're sending home paper packets. And sorry, a paper packet is not replaced in classroom learning. And um, the idea that they didn't even make a plan to roll out these computers or roll out the digital learning to get our kids going in the classroom shows that they do not, they're not valuing education from teachers. And I think that is so crucial for our kids. You know, there's another issue, Delane, that is a big deal with not having our kids physically in school. And those are our special needs kids. These said kids will suffer greatly because of this hybrid program. We have had so many stories on our Facebook group about these kids who their speech, their age, their special classes, um, that they say, oh, sorry, we're going to do that through Zoom. That is illegal. <laughs> they can't do that. There are certain hours that have to be met in an IEP, and by denying those kids those service hours, that is a great disservice to our children. And Davis School District legally can't do that. So we are fighting for our special ed kids right now. And we have special ed advocates working with us. One of them is actually going to run for school board. This is so important to us. So basically you're saying they didn't feel like the school board was very, they weren't very receptive to the will of the parents. Did I get that message correctly from you? Yeah, so so it is frustrating. Um, Davis School District's motto is learning first, but it seems right now that they've put fear first. And when we've come and we have data, we have statistics, we have metrics, we have numbers, we have schools all over the world that are showing that they can open up safely. We have our own CDC, we have the President of the United States, they're saying all of these things. The majority of school districts in Utah are going to school four to five days a week physically. And when we came to our district and said, look, this is all we have. We're concerned about this issue. We have at-risk kids. Um, please, please let them go to school. And they basically came back and said, nope, um, we think hybrid is the safest option. And they didn't give us metrics. They didn't give us reasons. They just said, we've decided that's it. And that is what's so frustrating to us is the lack of accountability. There's no transparency in this decision. Um, they said, well, the health, health county, county health department said, and then the county health department says, no, this is all the school districts. So they're, they're saying, oh, wait, well, the Utah State School Board said this. And we're looking at this going, wait a second, this isn't the school board, the state school board, because they approved all of these other schools to go to school four and five days a week, which means if it wasn't safe, they would not have approved it for those schools. So how come it's not safe in our district? It is safe. They are functioning on fear, and they're not listening to the majority of parents who want their kids in school five days a week. You know, it's interesting. I think it's important to note that there has not one single child, no one under the age of 
probably 25, but I know no one under the age of 18 in the state of Utah has died from COVID. And there is no scientific evidence whatsoever that one single child has transmitted COVID to any adult or transmitted it to any other person. So that is the science that we actually have. So I am trying to figure out why our children are being forced to wear diapers on their faces and go to school all day and, re- and receive a lack of a reduced amount of oxygen to their developing yep. lungs and brains and do that in a classroom. As a teacher, we know we need to see the children's faces, to see their reactions, to see where they are. They need to see ours to, to articulate, to understand us properly. Mm-hmm. So, Corinne, we are so out of time. We are so grateful for you being on. Thank you so much for coming with Thank us. Thank you. And I want everyone to remember, you are the guardians of your liberty. Thank you. Thank you.